Good morning and welcome to our online service that has become a necessity and a joy in the face of the present COVID-19 crisis. I'm Mike Fucella, the minister of Blackmount and Bigger Churches. We're four weeks into a series where we're looking at the life of the early church and how Jesus, by his spirit, inspired those early Christians to live and bear witness to his goodness. And we've taken Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, as our picture of what that early church looked like. Let's read that passage once again. They, the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We've identified five marks of the early church from this picture. And those marks are, one, gathering around God's word, two, doing life together, three, sharing the Lord's supper and other meals together, four, praying together, and five, growing in number. And we've asked the question every week, how can the characteristics that marked this early church be expressed in our fellowship in our time? And today we think specifically about how open these folks were to one another and to outsiders. We're thinking about their hospitality and their extravagant generosity, how they did life together. This past week, I was reading John chapter 2. You know the story that's found there. It's the one where Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding feast. This is one miracle that a lot of people have a problem with, because why? You can understand why Jesus would feed people and heal others. But why would he give people more wine to drink when they had already drunk plenty? Well, I think this is a very important miracle. We're told in the Gospel of John that it is one of seven crucial signs that Jesus performed. Jesus at this wedding is showing people back then and us today as we read about it, just what life with him is meant to look like. Here, in fact, is a picture of church. And maybe for many of us, it's a surprising picture of church. It isn't austere and somber, but it is a picture of intimacy and joy and hopefulness. A wedding is about getting friends and family together, getting people whom you love together, people with 
shared joys and shared losses. Church is meant to be intimate like that. In church, we share Jesus. Jesus who has given us new life. Jesus who has brought us into his family and who is here now in our midst to make our joy complete and to comfort all our sorrows. Like a wedding feast, church is also meant to be joyful, full of feasting and maybe even some dancing. Of course, there are occasions for tears. There are often tears at a wedding, but overall, at weddings and in church, there should be a sense of joy. And like a wedding, church is meant to be hopeful. At a wedding, you're hopeful that the bride and groom will live long together and that their union will be fruitful. You feast extravagantly because you hope that, that this is what it will be like as the couple lives together. So too with church. When we gather, we are people full of hope for the kingdom that is breaking in and that one day will come fully. We give this life with Jesus our all because we know there is more to come. We live in extravagantly generous ways because of the hope that King Jesus gives us. As we think about this mark of hospitality and sharing that was so evident in the early church as they did life together, let's also remember that picture that we have in John chapter 2 of making wine out of water at a wedding feast. But for now, let's sing our first hymn that's all about the goodness of God. It's the hymn, Sing of the Lord's goodness. Let's approach God in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord God, this world and all of life is yours. And out of your goodness, you invite us and all creation to share in it. Lord, you are the host and we are the guest at an amazing feast, a feast of sights and smells, of great food and great drink, of surprises and wonders at every turn and at every moment. Lord God, help us to be grateful for all that we experience here in your world. Help us to never think that any of it is exclusively ours or that we through our own effort or skill have made it or somehow deserve it. And Lord, as you are a gracious, extravagant host, help us to be the same. Help us to love others, welcome them in, Spend time and effort and money on them. That as we reflect your goodness, they might turn to you. You, the source of all goodness. And know you for who you are.
as their Savior and their Lord. Ever-present God, help us now to recognize your presence, to hear your voice, and to respond in the way that you would have us respond. We pray now the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, could you turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. And we read together God's word. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's word. We have a guest preacher this morning, Jane Fucella, who happens to be my wife. Let's reflect on God's word as Jane leads us. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Before we get into studying God's word, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that your word is alive and ready to speak to our hearts. 
We ask that you would open our eyes, open our ears and open our hearts so that we will hear your voice today. Amen. As Mike said, we're going to continue our series today looking at the early church found in Acts. So let's look again at the verse, part of which we're going to be thinking about specifically today. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I think for many of us, it's normal to look at our faith in a very individualistic way. It's all about me and my relationship with God. We might consider it to be a private relationship that no one else needs to know about or speak into. If we have quiet times, we are on the whole listening to hear what God is saying to us as individuals rather than to the whole church. But interestingly, that isn't the Bible's way of looking at reality. The word you is very rarely found in the singular form, nearly always plural, meaning that the Bible is addressing us within the context of our faith community rather than as individuals. Community is a major theme that runs through the whole story. God himself is community, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Adam and Eve were created to live in community with God. Together, as male and female, they reflect the image of God, who is community. The Old Testament is the story of Israel and the creation by God of the dynamic of community to reflect himself. And in the New Testament, Jesus builds around himself not a group of individuals, but rather a community or a family, which eventually becomes the church. So it's not surprising that the early church was devoted to the fellowship or the community, the body of Christ, the family of God. Other versions of the Bible talk about them being devoted to doing life together or being like family to each other. So what does it mean to do life together or be family? What makes Christians doing life together distinctive? To start with, what it isn't. Doing life together as a church isn't about rules or regulations. It's not lists of activities or even characteristics that make us who we are as a church family. It's the other way round. As we understand our identity in Christ and ourselves collectively as his body, then the devotion to that body or fellowship or church is a natural result. The passage Mike read for us early from Romans 12 tells us what sort of things will be the evidence of this devotion to the fellowship, or in other words, will be the markers of us doing life together. We're going to look at four of them. Love, in both good times and bad. Forgiveness, generosity and hospitality. So firstly, love. I guess this is the most obvious one but the hardest perhaps. Paul, as always, is very strong in just four words. Verse nine says, love must be sincere. What is sincere love? Paul's most famous description of love is found in 1 Corinthians 13, read at most weddings. But actually, you know, it, it, he wasn't talking about the love between two people when he wrote this. He was talking about how love is expressed and lived in community. Let's remind ourselves of what he says. Love is patient, kind, not envious, doesn't boast, 
is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, does not keep a record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, rejoices in truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. That description is just so dense. Can I challenge you to look at the passage again slowly and think about it in relation to our church family? In other passages, Paul tells us that love is also about building others up, not pulling them down. It's about honouring others and being accountable to one another. It's about being encouragers. When we love others like this, we make ourselves vulnerable. So being in community, doing life together, requires vulnerability in order that we will love. Being vulnerable with others is hard. Learning to love others who perhaps we don't necessarily like is hard. It needs intentionality and determination. It needs commitment. It needs humility. But this is the basic characteristic of community and we are commanded to do it over and over again in the New Testament. I found 20 references saying love one another without actually looking very hard. See if you can find them or more. And loving one another means we do it in all circumstances, so in suffering and in joy. We know that suffering will come. As Christians, we're not immune and we can't fix it, which is something I as a natural fixer struggle with. But as we do life with each other, it means we walk with each other in pain and suffering. We listen to each other. We care for each other practically. Sometimes all it means is we cry with each other and pray for one another. We may feel helpless in the face of someone else's suffering, but doing life together means that we don't cross the road to avoid someone because we're frightened of saying the wrong thing. We take risks in order to show love to those who perhaps make us uncomfortable because they are in pain. As one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. But those famous verses in Corinthians go on to say, as one part of the body is honoured, every part rejoices with it. It's not only about being with each other when things are tough. Doing life together, being family, is also about celebrating or rejoicing together, just as Owen talked about celebrating his birthday at Spaghetti Supper for the last six years. It's about having fun. The first miracle Jesus did was at a party a wedding, somewhere fun. It wasn't a life or death miracle. He turned water into wine. I'm not advocating excessive drinking, but I am saying that we need to learn to celebrate together more. Laughing with others is a great way to build community or fellowship. At the moment, parties are obviously taboo, but let's be imaginative about how we can have fun, even in just twos or threes, and how we can celebrate important stages in each other's lives. So the first mark of devotion to the fellowship or doing life together is loving one another in both suffering and in joy. Secondly, Paul tells us that we should not take revenge and we should, as far as possible, live at peace. 
I think the key here, as far as doing life together is concerned, is forgiveness. Mike talked about this at some length a couple of weeks ago, so I won't go into detail again. But suffice to say that nothing prevents us living from living out our true identity in Christ in community as much as unforgiveness. Forgiveness is required by God. And when we don't forgive, we open the door to the influence of the enemy who longs to destroy relationship and community. If God is speaking to you about this today, don't push it aside. Go back and listen to Mike's sermon on it again or get in touch with one of us if you need help with the forgiving process. The next mark of God's people doing life together is generosity. In verse 13, Paul writes, share with God's people who are in need. Again, he makes it sound so simple. Going back to our description of the early church, we read, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That is radical. He isn't saying, when you feel comfortable and secure as far as time or finances are concerned, then share with others. He isn't saying give of your surplus. He's saying do it, whatever your circumstances. So what does it mean to give of ourselves generously? To give our time, our gifts, our money, our other resources? I think we've seen lots of examples of generosity through lockdown. Particularly people being generous with their time as far as volunteering and caring for their neighbours is concerned. The listening ear service in here in Bigger has been really appreciated by many. One of the greatest gifts we can give someone is time to listen to their story. But it's more than doing these planned programs or following a system of tithing as far as our financial giving is concerned, or even as some people saying it, paying our dues. Structured programs and planned proportionate giving should be the norm. But we are called to be radically generous. Again, the wedding at Cana is an example. Jesus' lavish generosity with the wine was far more than they would ever have imagined. The theme of giving without expecting anything in return and sacrificial giving, giving even when it hurts, runs throughout the Bible. You may remember the story of the widow's tiny offering, which was everything she had compared to the rich man giving lots of money, but out of his excess. It was the one who gave sacrificially whom Jesus honoured. We know the saying, we are blessed more by giving than receiving. But do we live as we believe, as if we believe it? We know both because it's a promise of God, but perhaps also through our own experience that we can trust God to provide for our needs when we give generously. But do we live as if we believe it? How does all this translate in practice? And I wonder, do we even know each other's needs? We need to be willing to be vulnerable and make our needs known. I also think we sometimes have a problem with accepting the generosity of others. That can be as harmful to a community as stinginess. Accepting the generosity of others is about putting aside pride and being willing to be ministered to in order to bless those who want to give. So, how do we make generosity 
part of the culture of our community as we do life together and move forward as a church. I'm not going to give any answers, but let's all think about that and make it a goal to be generous in some way each day. When we meet for coffee after the service today and before the service next week, we can share our ideas of how we can be generous in our community. The final mark I want to talk about is also in verse 13. Paul says very simply, practice hospitality. As we've noticed before, particularly when Michelle Guinness visited us, hospitality was very important in the Middle East in Bible times, as it still is today. In Luke's Gospel, almost every event recorded, Jesus is either on the way to or from or actually at a party or a meal. Eating together and welcoming others to the table is key in doing life together. Families that eat together regularly communicate with each other much better and tend to have closer relationships. Eating together builds community as we have seen as we've hosted spaghetti supper each week for the last five years. And hospitality isn't just about getting together with your mates. As always, Paul is talking about something radical, intentionally inviting people that aren't like you, people who you don't think have anything in common with you, people who are perhaps on the fringes or maybe a bit odd. Doing life together is about everyone, no one left out. In this passage, Paul even takes the hospitality a step further. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. With lockdown for the last few months and the continued restrictions, it's hard to see how to practice hospitality. Our dining room that has at times fed up to 60 people in a week has become an office and a dumping ground of all the stuff from our sitting room which has become a recording studio. It will be a while until we can host people in the way we are used to. Numbers allowed to gather are limited and people may be reluctant to open up their homes or go into the homes of others. But many in our church family who've been completely isolated for so long run the real risk of becoming reclusive. Maybe what hospitality means for us right now is to invite one person for coffee or a meal, being generous with our time and our space. Maybe it means reaching out to folk you have, not, you have not thought of inviting for a meal before, someone who for four months has eaten nothing but their own cooking alone. Hospitality is not about being a great cook. You can always order a takeaway or being a perfect host or having a beautiful home. Hospitality is about welcome, whatever that looks like. As we do life together moving forward, let's be imaginative as we obey the command to practice hospitality. So the marks of being devoted to the fellowship, doing life together are loving one another through both suffering and rejoicing, forgiveness, generosity and hospitality. It may seem a bit overwhelming, rather a high bar to live up to, but we're not called to do any of this in our own strength. Jesus is at the centre of it all. There are certainly many good people who are not Christians, who would not identify themselves with the church, but who do all of these things. 
but we are called to be distinctive. We find our identity in Jesus. We are devoted, as Mike has already said, to God's word. And out of all that, we do our life together. And though, as those around us see our distinctiveness in our devotion to one another, they will be drawn into this family and to the Lord Jesus, who's the head of this family, and the reason that it exists. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that we are called to do life together out of our identity in you and because we are the body of Christ. Help us as we move forward to demonstrate real love, love that is sincere towards each other, to practice forgiveness, generosity and hospitality. And may the world around us see that we are different because of this. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our concerns to God, whose mercy is more than we could ever imagine. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you now, what will doing life together, loving, forgiving, being generous and showing hospitality look like in practical ways in this season in which we find ourselves and indeed in the season that is ahead of us. Lord, what will it look like? Lord, continue to speak to us Make of us a fellowship of whom people can't deny that your presence is with us and at work in us. We bring our concerns for our world and ourselves to you now. Lord God, as we move into the next phase of loosening restrictions, we ask you to give us courage Give us courage to step out, to seek ways, perhaps new ways, of loving you and loving our neighbors. We pray for our neighbors far and near. We pray for folks in places where there has been a spike in infection or where the level of infection continues to rise. And we ask you, Lord, for comfort and relief for these. Grant the wherewithal to healthcare systems and workers and wisdom to decision makers to alleviate suffering and bring infection down. We pray for our family, friends, and neighbors who are ill, either from this virus or from other ailments. And we ask you, Lord, that they might know you close at hand and ever-present help in times of need. We thank you that Jean has returned from hospital, that Hannah, too, is at home, and that Mookie has had a successful operation and may, too, soon be going home to his family. 
we thank you that you answer our prayers, Lord. And we thank you for answering these specific prayers. We pray for churches, including our own, as we try to negotiate opening our buildings again. Lord, guide us. Help us to do this in a way that brings blessing to others and keeps them safe. Thank you, God, for those who have worked tirelessly to give us good advice in this season and who have worked to complete all the paperwork that needs completing so that shops and churches and other places throughout the land can begin to function again. We ask you, Lord, to bless them as they continue their sometimes thankless work. And we bring all these prayers to you, Lord, knowing that you listen to each one and that you, Lord, go beyond our desires to do your good and perfect will in every situation that concerns us. We trust you, Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.